Okay, so we're going to learn Jerusha uh, Dalit. Anyone, you want to make sure you've got the text, um, feel free to take if you don't have. And we're going to be looking at this week, it's a classic piece in the sense that he's going to mix uh, some drush, a deeper understanding of the story, and as well be mixing some really hard halachic things. He's going to weave them like seamlessly between each other. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be okay for it. Okay, Jerusha Yudalit. So we're looking at the Pasuk. And source one here. So what's the story? The Torah are very vague exactly what, what happens. We know that the Gemara already tells us it's not clear what happened. You know, the, did Ruvain sin? Did Ruvain not sin? But the literal text here says that Ruvain goes and he sleeps with Billah. That he has relations with Billah. And who is Billah? The Pasuk identifies her as Pilegesh Aviv. Now the Pilegesh, which is usually typically translated as the concubine, means a sort of a mistress, where the sense is that you're not formally betrothing the woman, but rather she's dedicated to you. That's an important component in understanding what Pilegesh is. She's dedicated to you. It's loyal to you. She's not, we're not talking, it's not a znus, it's not zona, it's not promiscuous in any sense, but it's not a formal kinyan. It doesn't come through the regular mechanism of kedushin. That's what normally what a Pilegesh is. And that's the way the Pasuk defines what Billa, what, what Billa was. Now, Billa as well was Rachel's maidservant. So the Pasuk says that Ruvain goes and he sleeps with Billa Pilegesh Aviv. So the, for the purposes of our conversation tonight, we're going to follow the opinion in the Gemara that means that he actually slept with her. Now, it's Machlaikas in the Gemara. You know, as kids, they taught us that he just moved the beds, like the other opinion in the Gemara. But it's Machlaikas. It's not so clear what happened. But for our conversation tonight, we'll be understanding it with that shot, the literal shot in the Pasuk, that he actually slept with her. By Yishmael Yisrael, and then uh, Yaakov hears about it. And the question is, how bad was it? And this is an interesting thing. How bad was it Ruben did it? And what was the impact of this, uh, of this chet that he had? So we see here, let's just uh, read to the Medrash inside. By Yishmael Ruben by Atzileo. So this is source number two. Uh, it says in the it says in the pasuk. Anyone know the context here? You got to fill figure out where we are. We are by when Yosef was thrown in the pit, and all the brothers are trying to kill him. Ruvain planned secretly to return to the pit and save Yosef. That's what Ruvain's plan was. So Ruvain heard and he and he went to save him. And the question the Medrash is bothered by is why Ruvain of all the Shvatim? Why was Ruvain specifically sympathetic? Towards Yosef. Nobody else was, so why is Reuven? So it says in the message, What I heard from Yosef is that he counts me together with the rest of the Shvatim. And I'm not going to go save him. I thought from the story from the time that I sinned with, with, with Billah that I was pushed off, that I was disconnected, that I was you know, no longer considered one of the Shifteka. But when Yosef spoke, he counts me, he includes me as one of the brothers. Shunemar, what does the Pasuk say? What was Yosef's prophetic dream? Yosef says that in my dream, everyone's bowing to me. How does he say that? He says that 11 stars are bowing to me. What are the 11? It means the 11 of his brothers. All the rest of the Shvatim are bowing to Yosef. That means Ruvain is of significance. He's part of the Shvatim. So despite the fact that, you know, Yosef is, 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 is seeing in his Nebuah that everyone's going to bow to him, and that's true, but Ruvain Ruvain hears something else. He's comforted by the dream because to Ruvain it means I'm part of the Shifte Ka. Despite the fact that last week's parsha, parsha was Vayishlach, I sinned and I was Vayishkavas Bilop Yilegeshaviv, but now I'm part of the Shifte Ka because it says 11 stars are going to bow. So clearly I'm like part of the brethren. 
So therefore, he repeats, I'm not going to go save Yosef. So it's a fascinating medrash. It's mashman the medrash. And what's going on here is that Reuben really wasn't sure if he should save Yosef. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. And he needed something to tip it. What made it tip the scales for Reuven to be sympathetic and go try, to try to save Yosef? Because he heard in Yosef's dream that what did Yosef do? He counts Reuven as one of the Shvatim. He's at 11 stars. So if Reuven's part of it, he says, oh, Yosef, you validated me, so to speak. You gave me significance as being one of the Shvatim. I wasn't sure if I'm still a Shevet. I wasn't sure if I was cut off and ostracized after my sin. You give me the significance of still being one of the Shvatim. How can I not step up and save you? That's what it says in the measure. So now let's go to, to the text of the Zerub Shimshun and see what his analysis is. So we're going to read through it pretty quickly because we just read it inside. But Medrash Rabbah says in the Medrash, Reuven returns to the pit. Why is Reuven going to save Amar Reuven? He counts me together with my brothers. Should I not rescue him? I thought I was totally rejected because of the story that I had when I slept with Bila. And yet he counts me together with the other brothers. Shinemar, as it says in the Pasuk, 11 stars are bowing to me. 11 meaning including Ruvain. And he therefore concluded, Am I not going to save him? Adkan, until here, is a quote of the Medrash. So now Zerashimshon starts his analysis. Yishladaktik, we have to examine here. Ma'o kefa alashon. Why is the Medrash repetitive? Metchila Amar, it starts with the saying, The first thing was, he counts me together with my brothers. Should I not rescue him? It seems like it's extra. All it should have said is, I thought I was rejected. Meaning to say, why does he first say, if he counts me, that I have to save him? I thought I was rejected, and then he counts me. How could I not save him? You clearly hear the repetition in the Medrash. It should have just said, I thought I was rejected. He counts me. I must save him. What does it say in the Medrash? He counts me. How can I not save him? I thought I was rejected, but he counted me. How can I not save him? That's what he's bothered by. There's clearly something redundant there in the language of the Medrash. That's one question. Another question. What kind of like logic is this? That because Yosef counted him with the brothers, that means he wasn't rejected. Like if you're not sure if you're still a shavit or not, and then you hear that there's 11 stars bowing to Yosef, that's what means you're still a shavit. Maybe he really was rejected. This count is no significance. Meaning to say like, by saying 11 stars are bowing to me, that's not really doing anything. It's a prophetic vision of all of his brothers bowing to him. The fact that he said 11 means that Ruvain's on the same level as Shimon Levi Yehuda, it's too much diuk, it's too much inference, he's putting too much weight into the vision of Yosef. All Yosef sees 11 stars are bowing to him. That means all 11 stars are equal and Ruvain is, is, is just as chashev as Shimon Levi Yehuda, maybe not, but bottom line is that the reality is Ruvain's going to bow to him. So he doesn't like the whole message of the measures, basically. He's, he's struggling to see just because it says 11 stars are going to bow to me, that doesn't really show that Ruvain is of the same significance. Another kasha. Vod, he's laying it on here. What does this have to do with saving Yosef? And this is, I think, the biggest, most compelling question. If you're struggling morally, if you should go save your brother, right? Clearly, Ruvain wasn't sure what to do. So it's a pasuk. Of course you have to save your brother. It's a pasuk which says that you can't stand aside when your brother's blood is being shed. It's a pasuk in the Torah. So all the other Shvatim felt that they had to kill Yosef. Clearly Ruvain didn't feel that way. Clearly Ruvain felt that maybe he should save his brother. Clearly. 
So he's like struggling morally. Should I or should I not? And then, oh, because he counted me in the dream, now I'm going to do it. And without that, you wouldn't have done it? You don't know that the Pasuk says, If you have a possibility that you have to save the person, then of course you would have done such a thing. What do we need Reuven? What does that mean that Reuven's motivation to save Yosef? Like we're making him very shallow. Like so he was like so insecure about himself and then he felt significant because he was in the dream and that's why he saved him. He would save him because it's a din in the title. Yosef. But furthermore, if you simply read the Medrash, it sounds like it sounds like he was on sitting on the fence, not sure what to do, and he would have done nothing. And then, oh, you know, the whole thing came because he heard that he was in the dream. And then he quotes the Gemara to ask his question. This is a quote of a Gemara. It's an expression, a good Aramaic expression. Someone eats garlic and he has, and he has bad breath. If he's trying to solve his breath, will he eat more garlic? Meaning to say, that once a person sins, if you want to get out of sin, you stop sinning. You don't repeat your sin. That's clearly not the approach. So the Fijik Varachata, what is this? Ruvain sinned and he's like, maybe I'm rejected. If I'm rejected, that means what? Eh, why bother saving Yosef? Let me just sin again. Why would that make sense? Because you sinned once, therefore you're going to not sure if you should do the right thing and maybe I won't do it again. But just because he already sinned with Bill and he was guilty, and then he's comfortable sinning again. Not to save Yosef and become even more guilty. That is baffling. And I tell you, he has a premise here, if you notice throughout all of his questions, which maybe is something more than we would have seen in the Medrash. His premise here is that Reuven is struggling whether he should do it because he knows it's the right thing to do. He knows Yosef is his brother. He knows he should be saved. But he needs like a chizik. Like he needs to like get him over to actually go and do it. And what got him to do it is the fact that he was in Yosef's dream and counted significant. Because that's his premise and what's going on in the Medrash. He has all these problems. First of all, he's saying... Is it really such a proof because he was in the dream that he's so significant? That's number one. Number two is that how would he not do it otherwise? And is it Losaman Adamriacha? And number three, what is this thing that had he felt rejected, meaning had he sinned and felt that because of his sin he's pushed away, then he wouldn't have cared to sin again? Is that true? Is that the way human beings like deal with Hashem? Once you sin once, then you don't care to sin again? Well, what's proud in that? Why does Ruve need this whole story from the Medrash? Okay. These are the questions that he has. So here. In so far, so good. So interesting questions he has on why Reuven would save Yosef. Now he's going to blow this open with amazing Yosef. Before we even, there, there's three layers here in the answer. Very important. There are three layers. Layer number one is quoting from somebody else, not him. It's someone named the Prashas Terachim. The Prashas Terachim wrote, if you ever look in the Rambam, there's a commentary called the Mishnah Lamelech. His name is Rabbi Yehuda Razanis. And he lives not so much before the Zerashimshan, a little bit earlier, like 30, 40 years earlier. And he was a Rav in Constantinople. Okay, so it's very interesting. And he, he rose, he had a lot of very powerful rub, very interesting, also mixed in politics and this and that. And he wrote an absolutely astounding piece on the Rambam called the Mishnah Lamelech. And he also wrote a Sefer Agadah, a Drush, which is called the Prashas Teruch. Okay, and he does very similar in style where he blends together Halacha and Hagada. V'hakol Yuvan says the Zerashimshon. Now everything can be understood. V'haktam ha-machleik has called him if we just introduce the, uh, the dispute that everybody knows about. This is the first piece of the Prashas Terachim. What's the big question? Here's the debate. The Avos, Kodemah Torah, before the, the Torah was given, what was the status of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? On the one hand, you could say, they were considered Jews. They weren't regular sons of Noah. Sons of Noah is just a terminology for a non-Jew. They weren't regular non-Jews because they were chosen. They were given a mitzvah bris milah. They were Jewish, one can say. They didn't formally accept the Torah because the Torah wasn't given yet, but they were Jewish. 
Olaf, maybe not. Maybe until Kabbalah Satora, until Myron Harsinai, there isn't a concept yet of Judaism until especially we go through Mitzrayim and all of that. Maybe you're not Jews. Sharabu Bazadeos. There's already many opinions about this. The Rishonim already talk about this. There's a Tysus and Baba Vasar about this issue. A big Shaila. Were the Avos considered Jews or not Jews? Now you're gonna tell me we know we have a proof they kept the Torah. Hey, Yaakov married two sisters. Great. You can get on to all of this. These are all sides of the debate. Not for us right now. For us right now is just to know one point and one point only. It's a debate. It is a debate whether the others had the status of Jews or not Jews. Upir Shusham says the Prashas Drachim, an amazing idea. If we say that they were left the status of being non-Jews, meaning if we say that they were Jews, it comes out, Reuven did not commit a sin. And in order to understand this, we need to understand a little bit about Pelegish. As we said, what is a Pelegish? A dedicated mistress who has not been taken in Kedushin. Let me ask you the following question. Is a person allowed to marry a woman who was in a relationship with their father outside the framework of marriage? In other words, Rahman al-Islam, one's father rapes a woman. Is the son allowed to marry that woman? What is the halacha? Or it doesn't have to be so extreme as rape. The father seduces a woman. Long time seduction. Uh, the, the woman agreed. It doesn't have to make the father a monster. But he didn't marry. He didn't formally marry the woman. Can the son in the future have a relationship with that woman? What is the halacha? person is not allowed to marry a married woman. We know that. A man is not allowed to marry any previous wife of their father. But what about someone who is in a relationship with the father, but not in the framework of Kedushin? What is the halacha? So hopefully we remember this in the Dafa Yoimi in Perik Noisin Ala Nusa and Mitzachas Yavamas. It's an open Mishnah. Noisin Ala Nusa Valamafuta. It's completely permitted. The Torah says, Lo Yikach es Eishes Aviv. What does Eishes mean? What is the key word, the operative word of Eishes? Ishus. What is Ishus? A real marriage through the formality of Kedushin. If it wasn't through a Kenyan, there wasn't, you know, Hariya Mekodesh's with that ring, then it doesn't make a difference that there was a relationship and an intimate one. That's not Ishus. And if it's not Ishus, then it's not forbidden. You have to know that. So he comes along and he says, well, wait a second. Bila was never married to Yaakov. Bila was just a Pilegesh. That means she was a dedicated mistress. Yaakov had never committed to her through an acquisition of Kedushin. So Yaakov, she's never Yaakov's wife. He never betrothed her. And even though Yaakov lived with her intimately, it doesn't make a difference. Mishnah Shlema Shaninu, it's an open Mishnah on Yavamos. No say all the manusas of him, if a person is allowed to marry the woman who was violated or seduced by his father. But what didn't Pilegesh of him? So the same should be true for the concubine of the father. So that's a little bit of a Chiddush. Someone could have tied and maybe, maybe, maybe that Pilegesh should be different. Well, let's assume not. Lamaisa, there was no Maisa Kedushin, and therefore Bila is permitted to Ruvain. However, here's the big chap. That's only true if you're a Jew. When it comes to Noach, the Leslu Kedushin, here's a fundamental difference. What before Matan Torah, how did a man marry a woman? The whole thing that we have today, you give a ring and you say, that's all because the Torah says, it all comes from those words, what happened before Ma'an Torah? So I'll read it to you in the Rambam, source three. Kode Ma'an Torah, what does the Rambam say? A person was pogea isha bashuk, a person meets a girl in the market. He, he wants to marry her. She wants to marry him. So what, 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 what do they do? He brings her into his home. And they achieve intimacy. And through that, she becomes a wife. Meaning, 
Before Matan Torah, what non-Jews had, and including maybe the Avos, if they were non-Jews, marriage was achieved simply through bringing a woman into one's home and being intimate with her. After Matan Torah, the Jews are said, no, 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 no. That's not what we do. If you want to have a wife, it has to be formal. The formality of Kedushin is achieved only through a Maisa through an acquisition. And acquisition has, 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 has a certain procedure. You give a ring, you say, so before Matan Torah and for non-Jews, Ishas is a reality. A person can be married and it comes in a casual sense. Ishas is achieved simply by being intimate with a woman and formally just bringing her into your home. That's all you need to do. So it comes out here is that amazing chap that if the Avos were considered to be non-Jews, then they have the status of before Matan Torah, a person gets married simply by being intimate with a woman in the privacy of their home, then Yaakov was married to Bila. Whereas if the Avos were Jewish and they were elevated and they left this even before the Torah was given their practicing Judaism and being like Jews, so then what was, what was Bila? Bila was not a wife of Yaakov. So now ask yourself this question. Did Ruvain sin when he slept with Bila? The answer is, in one sentence, it depends if Yaakov was a Jew. If Yaakov is a Jew, then it turns out that there was no sin. Because if Yaakov is a Jew, then, then Bila is a random Pilegesh. And therefore, it's not Aishas Aviv. There's no Isser for Reuven to be intimate with her. Whereas if you learn that Yaakov was a Ben Noyach, I know it sounds ironic, but if he's a Ben Noyach, then he's married to, to, to Bila. And if he's married to Bila, because Aishas for a Ben Noyach is simply through bringing her into your home, so then she's a regular married woman who's married to his father, and therefore it's a tremendous sin for Reuven to be with her. That's the Cheshbin of the Prashat Racham. So let's read it inside. That's only for a Jew. For Noach, the Lesbuk Kedushin, they don't have the formal Kedushin. For a Ben Noach, for them to become married, all they need is to be intimate. So then Milsa the Pshite becomes Avish, a person would be liable for living with his father's concubine. Misham Eshazav would be the wife of the father, Umisham Eshazif, and even more would be a married woman. So unbelievable what he's saying so far is that Ruvain, did he sin or did he not, is totally in what Shaila if Yaakov was a Jew or not. If Yaakov was a Jew, then Ruvain did not sin. If Yaakov was a Ben Noach, then Ruvain did sin. So far, so good. Creative idea. Let's see where it goes. Continues, uh, continues. This is all the Prashas to Racham still. Zel Perish Medrash. This is what the Medrash says. The Medrash, you can read it uh, in four, or we'll just read it inside here. Oz Allah. This is an, on, on Yaakov's deathbed. What he told to Ruvain was, he basically said, you, At that point, you desecrated my couch, right? Because you went up onto Billah. And, and what the Medrash says on that Pasuk, Yaakov, Yaakov said to Reuven, I don't know what to do with you. On the one hand, I can't distance you. On the other hand, I can't draw you near. Yaakov says, I don't know what to do with you, Reuven. I'm going to hold you in suspense. I'm not going to determine your fate. Until Moshe Rabbeinu will come along. As it says, that Moshe Rabbeinu went to Hashem and he learned all the Torah and he learned whether or not Reuven was guilty or not. What is the Pshat? Whatever Moshe sees fit to you, he'll do. Moshe ended up drawing Reuven close. When Moshe Rabbeinu was on his deathbed, he said, Reuven should live. That's the end of the measures. What's the shot in this measures? Yaakov doesn't know what to do with Reuven, and then Moshe is going to determine what to do with Reuven. What, what, what does that mean? What is Yaakov's doubt? The Teretz is very gishmak. Yaakov nistapik im yatsim Yaakov was in doubt about this very issue. He didn't know whether he was a Jew or a Ben Noach. He knew he was trying to observe the Torah, but he didn't know his status. He didn't know whether he was a Jew or a 
Ben Noach. Therefore, if he was a Jew, Ruven hadn't sinned, and he didn't know what to do. He didn't want to distance him, because maybe he was a Jew, in terms it comes out, that Ruven was allowed to be with his, with his concubine. Or maybe he was still a Ben Noach, and Ruven had sinned. That's why he didn't want to draw him near. So what he did is, Yaakov said, I just don't know what to do with you. I can't forgive this out. It's a matter of doubt. I'm out. We're going to let Moshe Rabbeinu go up to God. Moshe Rabbeinu will determine what the status of Reuven. And then what ended up happening, what is the truth, according to the Shtikol Torah? It comes out that Reuven did not sin because it was determined, Moshe Rabbeinu determined that the status of the Avos is that they were Jews. Therefore, Bila was only a Pelagish and not a wife. And therefore, Reuven did not sin. That would be the Shtikol Torah from the Parshat Zerach. Okay. Now, so far, so good. Here's where it gets one more time. We're going to see the same debate. Here we go. This very issue of whether the Avos were Jews or non-Jews and the halachic implications came up as a fight between Yosef and his brothers as well. What happens? It says in the Pasuk a little bit of background. You can see in uh, Source 5. What does it say? Yosef brought the bad speech about his brothers to their father. Right? Yosef tells on his brothers. What does he tell on his brothers? What, what does it say? So Rashi says... He tells on them, he says, Dad, they were eating Aver Min Achai. That's what Rashi says, source five. What is Aver Min Achai? A little brief introduction. You're, you're supposed to, you're not, even for B'nai Noach, you're not allowed to eat meat from an animal that was taken off the animal before it died. It's called Aver Min Achai. Even after the animal dies, if the, if the limb, if the meat was removed before the animal died, that meat is forever forbidden to eat. That's the law of Aver Min Achai. It's one of the Shevimists of B'nai Noach. So Yosef comes in and he says, I'm telling on you, I'm going to tell on, on, on what your brothers are, on what my brothers are doing. He says, Yaakov, they're eating Aver Menachai. And that stirred the pot. You ever wonder why that stirred the pot? Why Aver Menachai? What is that? What is up with Aver Menachai? I mean, of all things, like, you know, he did this. Aver Menachai is the thing that stirred the whole thing. Why? What is the significance of Aver Menachai? So here we got a very cool point. A little bit of background, I'm sorry. You can look at it inside at the end. I have to go a little bit quickly, but it's, it's source number six. You can take a look at the Gemara and Chulin. Let me tell you the following you say. It's very hard. If you don't know anything about it, just listen, hang on to this point. How does a Jew, besides for Aver Menachai, we have another halacha, that we can only eat meat which is slaughtered, which has been shechted. How do I shech something? I can't put a bullet and kill an animal. I have to specifically go ahead and take a knife and shech and, 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 and sever the trachea and the esophagus. And what happens? That shechted. Now the animal is kosher. Now, after the trachea and the esophagus are severed, is the animal dead? If you had a doctor on site, any doctors? Oh, trachea and esophagus. Is it can pronounce dead? The answer is no, not yet. The Gemara describes like a 30-second process by which the animal is still withering around. It's called mifar cheses, before it dies after the trachea and esophagus are severed. So now here's the cool point. Goyim can't eat Aver Menachai, and we can't eat Aver Menachai. What happens if someone shechs an animal, it's withering around on the ground for 30 more seconds, and during those 30 seconds, when it's Mepharchesses, meat is ripped off of it. Is that meat Aver Menachai, or is it not Aver Menachai? Here's the question. It's already been shechted, but it still has life to it. It's still, you know, the vital sign, the organs, it's working. It still is pronounced as being alive. Is it Aver Menachai in that second? So if you're a guy, it is usser to you. Why? Because to Goyim, we have to care about one thing and one thing only. Is there life to the animal? There's still life to the animal. But for a year, the Gemara says, it's not Aver Menachai after the Shechita happened. That's the hard point. I don't understand why that's true. 
The Yisoyed Advarim is that Shechita, the Torah says, there's a process called Shechita which gives a heter to the behemoth. It pronounces it dead. I, it's still alive. For the Jews, the law of Shechita is that it permits the animal. The Torah said that is the way it is killed. As soon as the mice of Shechita occurred, as soon as the process of Shechita occurred, even if technically there still seems to be life, there's a heter on all of them eat and it can no longer be Avram and Achai. For a non-Jew, where the laws of Shechita are inapplicable, there's one thing you have to care about. Is it dead or is it alive? So if you take off the meat in those 30 seconds while it was alive, it's trefa meat. It's Avram and Achai. But for a Jew, after, Aver, after the Shmaisa Shechita takes place, the Gemara in Chulin says it's not Avram and Achai. So it's a very interesting. Goyim have a Chumrah over Yidin. For Goyim to wait for Avram and Achai to pass, they have to wait until the animal is pronounced dead. They can't just wait until after the Maisa Shechita. But for Jews who have a Din Shechita, as soon as the Shechita occurs on the animal, all the meat is kosher right away and you can rip it off and you don't have to wait for the animal to die. Okay, that is the Gemara and Chulin source number six. So let's now go back to the Zerushim and read it inside. So the Shvatim are fighting with Yosef as well about the very same thing. It says that Yosef brought to his father the evil slander, that they were eating a Menachai. So the Re'im explains. The Re'im is Rabbi Yom Mizrahi. He lives right in the beginning of the 1700s, one of the most chief commentators on Rashi's Pirish on the Torah. The Re'im says, that there was, the, 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 the Shvatim weren't bad people. They weren't sinners. Why are they eating a Menachai? The Pshat is, they were eating meat that was ripped off the animal in those 30 seconds after the Shechita, but before the animal was pronounced dead. And they held it was mutter. You know why they held it was mutter? Because they considered themselves to be Jews. If they consider themselves to be Jews, then after Shechita is done, there's no longer Avram and Achai. To a, a guy, meat that's caught from the slaughtered animal while it's still moving around is usher until it's pronounced dead. Because for Goyim, it all depends on death. It only leaves the Isra of Avram Nachai once it's totally dead. So if a guy, so if someone cuts off meat from an animal that was shechted, but in those 30 seconds before it's pronounced dead, for a guy, it's usher. For a Jewish person, that it only depends on the shechita. That means as soon as the shechita is done, the meat is permitted right then, even though the animal is still convulsing and still it's moving around. So that's exactly what the dispute was. Ach, Yosef, how you from Yosef's brothers held that they were full-fledged Jews and therefore the meat wasn't answered to them because there was already a shechita performed. Yosef's viralei, this is the comment of the Prashat Racham. Yosef held shaloyatsu. Maybe you guys are wrong. You are actually still gayim. And therefore the meat is answered. That's why he gave a slander to them. Because he knew that Yaakov also had a suffix about this. This is the icing on the cake here. Follow this point. Yosef knew that Yaakov wasn't sure if they were B'nai Noach or Jews. How did Yosef know that Yaakov had such a suffix? Because after Reuven sinned, Yaakov didn't know whether it was a sin. That's exactly as we said. Whether or not, this is a complicated sentence, whether or not Reuven sinned, and whether or not you can eat the meat from a slaughtered animal in the 30 seconds before it's pronounced dead are dependent on the same exact question. Are you, are, were the Avos Jews or were they Goyim? If, let's just go over the Cheshman. If the Avos were Jews, that means Reuven did not sin and it means the meat that's taken off the animal is permitted after it was slaughtered. If the, if the Avos were Goyim, it means Reuven did sin because Pilegesh is considered a wife 
And it means that the meat from Aver and Achai was awesome. So Yosef looks at his brothers and he says, you guys are so confident you're Jews and that's why you're eating this meat? You know dad is not sure about that. Yaakov is not sure whether or not we're Jews or not. And we know that's true because he's not sure what to do with our brother Ruvain. So you're going ahead and you're, 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 you're not respecting his Suffolk? That's basically what Yosef did. So he brings the evil speech to his father. And now the Zarashimshon clarifies it. Does this mean for sure that Yosef knew they were Goyim? In other words, Yosef saying to them, you guys think yourself as Jews. I know we're Goyim and therefore you're wrong. Not necessarily. All it could be is that Yosef saying, who told you that you're right, that you're Jews? Maybe you're Goyim. Meaning it doesn't have to be certain the other way. It just has to be a doubt. Remember, Yaakov has a doubt if they're Goyim or Jews. So what Yosef is saying is that even if we're not sure, but that's enough to stay away from the meat. If you have a suffix, if we're Jews or not, just like dad has that suffix, that should be enough of a reason for you to stay away from the meat. And that's what he points out in the next, in the next paragraph. And uh, that Adani usually stop as far as Yosef, we can still be unsure what Yosef held. The Abbasiril had gone when it off. Maybe he held for sure they were going. Oh, do I miss But then maybe he was a doubt. Just like Yaakov was in doubt, he also was in doubt. He was being machmir because anytime you have a suffix about a biblical Isra, you have to be a machmir. And then the Prashas Tarachim even brings up a third possibility. Prashas even brings another possibility that maybe Yosef fundamentally agreed with them that they were Jews. He didn't even have a doubt. Maybe, maybe Yosef was saying to them, even if we conclude that we're Jews, we should still be pious and have the Chumras of Gaim as well. And we'll explore that side, because why, why, why would I say that? If you're Jews, you're Jews. Like, why should I be extra pious and be, maybe we're not Jews? What, what does that mean? Okay, and that's, until here, everything that we've done so far was the Prussian Drachim. We haven't even saw the wisdom of the Zerashimshon yet tonight. That's what's crazy. We're all going to get it in the last 12 minutes. So far, quick recap, guys. What has happened so far? We're set it up for, the, for where he's going to go with this. So far, we're dealing with the Medrash that everything that happened with Ruvain going to save Yosef is because he was motivated by Yosef counting him in the stars. We were really, really troubled by that Medrash, trying to understand back and forth what it had to do with being counted in the dream, why that was Yosef's, why that was Ruvain's motivation to save Yosef. We then, I've introduced the Prashas Drachim that the whole Indian of whether Ruvain sinned when he slept with Bila is totally whether the Jews, whether the Avos were, were Jews or not Jews, whether or not Yaakov was considered married to Bila, and that was a suffix to Yaakov. The Prashas Drachim is also connecting that to the same thing that they were eating Abraham and Achai we're explaining from their aim they didn't just eat regular Abraham and Achai they ate Abraham and Achai from an animal that was shechted but before was dead the status is for Goyim that is also but for Jews that is Mutter and Yosef and his brothers were having that same dispute that Yaakov was unsure about the brothers were saying we know we're Jews we know we can eat the meat Yosef saying to them hey dad is not sure about it so what are you doing eating the meat that's where we are so far so now, let's add on a little bit more Gishmak. Look at the language of the Pasuk. The language of the Pasuk is that Yosef brought an evil report to their father. What does that mean he brought an evil report to the father? The simple shot in the Pasuk is he brought the evil speech. It is evil. And he told it to his father. You could say much better. It was evil only to Yaakov. He didn't say something that was evil then he related it to Yaakov. That's not what the language of the Pasuk. It was evil only to Yaakov. What does it mean it's evil only to Yaakov? The Shvatim wouldn't have held it was evil. The Shvatim held they were doing, they were Tzatik and Kedoshim and Tahirim. They held they were Jews. They weren't sinning. Vayovi Yosef Estibosom Ro Elavia means that the Ro, the evil of what they were eating was only subjective. It was subjective that it was evil according to Yaakov's suffix that maybe 
they were Gayim. Dibasim Kalayim Ashah Rosh, it wasn't evil they were doing, was only in respect to their father's opinion. If they saw that their father wasn't sure about the law, they should never have acted contrary to their father's opinion and to allow themselves to eat that which their father wasn't sure if they could eat. And now we can understand for this just a little bit better. Just to understand a little bit better, and I, I'm gonna, I don't have enough time to read everything inside. I really want to get to the closing things. Just to understand, I'll say it outside. What Yosef was doing was really not debating Aver Menachai with his brothers. He actually fundamentally agreed that Aver Menachai in that situation was mother because they were Jews. What Yosef was upset about, he says, you have no respect for your father. That was the whole fight. The fight was not a moral debate. It wasn't an ethical debate about Aver Menachai. It was about one thing and one thing only. You can't disagree with your father. That's what he was saying to them. Vayav Yosef Adivah is that he was making politics. There is nothing that stirs the pot more than telling a father that his children disagree with his opinion. Can you imagine Yaakov and that? You're not sure. You have a whole suffix about how to look at Reuven. And then you hear that your kids are evening that Avram and Achai from the animal. What does that mean? It means that your kids are just disregarding your suffix. That is what Yosef, that's what Yosef was doing. He was a pot stirrer. And he explains that's why the Shvatim Heldi was so evil. The one thing which is really like considered like an evil, the Rechilos, Loselech Rachel, is to stir the pot. We all hate that pot stirrer. The people who are just making dispute. Who told Yosef to tell Yaakov what they were doing? In other words, all he's doing is inciting the fight. And he goes on, the Zerashimshan says a beautiful idea. He says the Shvatim didn't eat it in front of Yaakov's face. They didn't go and take that meat in front of him and say, hey, dad, we disagree with you. They actually respectfully always made sure that Yaakov would never see them. And he quotes something I know we learned a while back about being respectful about other people's minhagim and ishtikl from Zerah Shimshon. He says that's exactly what they did. They knew that their father had a suffix if they were allowed to eat the meat because they knew that their father wasn't sure if they were B'nai Noach or not. So you know what they did? They only ate it in the privacy away from their father. What is Yosef doing? He's bringing their actions to their father. He's exactly, He's stirring the pot, mamish, like bringing what they're doing in front of them. And he explains that, you know, Yosef held it was still ultimately, it was, it was a disrespect to their father. If your father has a suffix, if you'd be allowed to eat that meat, even in the privacy, even though your, your father's not looking, you shouldn't have eaten. That's like the beauty of what he explains the real debate was and why it was so personal, why there was so much hatred. And now you can understand how it relates so much more to Yosef being the chosen child. <clears throat> Yosef has that extra close connection with his father. The other Shvatim are in a certain way disrespecting their father, but also with an angle of respect by doing it from a distance and something that they held was mutter that their father would have been misupic. And Yosef stirring that pot. Yosef has He's bringing it all together. So now that we read that all outside, I want to just now see if we can go to the part of the paragraph that starts from, just give me one second here, from the Sanhedrin. You see where that is? The paragraph that, uh, yeah, exactly. Lama Zayin, the Sanhedrin, Daphnantes. Last point here. There's a very famous thing that when an uber, you know, when there's, a, uh, when there's a fetus that's trying, threatening to kill the mother's life, so what is the halacha? So the halacha is that we save the mother's life. But once the, when, once the head comes out and it's already born, so then the halacha is that we don't, we don't save the mother's life. We don't take action to go save it. It's already considered, you know, that's the famous law a Mishnah and O'olah says. So basically, there's a, uh, the, 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 the Gemara says that for Goyim, 
to kill an Uber is just as bad as killing a live thing. A Jew, it's very interesting, doesn't have that halacha. That's why if the baby's still inside, you actually do kill the baby to save the mother's life. Because killing, a, killing an Uber is not so bad. Because maybe it's a lav, but it's not murder. But for Goyim, killing an Uber is actually considered murder. And so for a guy, actually, it wouldn't be like that. You wouldn't have such a scenario. Tosfos, after he speaks about one point, and this is really one point and one point only, is that Tosfos says the reason why we go and kill the Uber when in that scenario, it's not full murder. The reason why we're so quick to kill the murder, to kill the baby as a murderer that's threatening the mother is because the Pasuk says, that you have to stick up, you have to go save the life of one of your brothers. So meaning to say, in the scenario when a woman is pregnant and the pregnancy and the uber inside of her is threatening her life, the reason why we kill the baby, Taisva says, is because if you wouldn't, it's there's Pashat like an Isser. There's an Isser to watch someone trying to kill somebody else you got to go save the mother. And that's the way Tosos understands that point. And Tosos basically goes on to say that Gaim don't have that law at all. The law of that you have to try to protect your brother is something that's unique to a Jew. And he says, and Tosos puts it into the words, Re'echa is a language, brother, like something very close to you. Gaim can't murder, that's true. But they don't have a chiyuv to save somebody else's life. Jews, there's a law. For Jews, there's a law, absolute law. If you see someone trying to kill someone, a friend of yours, you have to step up. You have to get involved. It's a lot if you, don't, if you don't do that. And that's the reason when a woman is pregnant and she has the fetus inside of her that is threatening to kill her life. Since it's not, at least it's not murder to kill the fetus, you have to. You are morally obligated to go and kill that fetus because if you don't, it's losam adam And Toso speaks out in Mesach HaSanedrin that Goyim do not have that losam adam So that's another very important point here in this. Lava losam adam is only for Jews. So now, putting it all together, now let's go back to Reuven. Reuven sees that his brothers are trying to kill Yosef. Reuven knows that there's a lav in the Torah losam adam he knows that you're supposed to save your brother's life. But that law of Losamar Adam Re'acha is said only to Jews. If you are a non-Jew and you have a brother that someone else is trying to kill, you do not have to go save your brother's life. You cannot murder even if you're a non-Jew. That's one of the Shemites that's been enough. But to save someone else's life is only required if you are a Jew. Losamar Adam Re'acha, only Re'acha. So Reuven knows that he has to save Yosef if Yosef and him are Jews. And he also realizes that if Yosef and me are not Jews and we're just regular non-Jews and someone is trying to kill Yosef, I am not required to step in and go save his life. That was what Reuven was struggling with. Reuven was in need, you know, a little like weakness. Like he was struggling with this exact question of the Parashas Tarach. We can explain the Medrash. I'm a Reuven. Reuven says as follows. Who mono him achai? If Yosef counts me together with my brothers, any matzilo, should I not rescue him? What he meant to say was, if he counts me with my other brothers, he must behold that I'm still considered chashuv. Why am I still considered chashuv? I, I sinned. It must be I didn't sin. Why didn't I sin? Because my father wasn't married to Billah. Why wasn't he married to Billah? Because we're Jewish. Oh, we're Jewish, and that's why I didn't sin, and that's why I'm one of the 11 stars. Then I have to save Yosef. 
Because the question of whether I save Yosef is dependent upon whether or not there's an Isra of Losamar Damriacha. The Isra of Losamar Damriacha is only for the Jews. Whether or not I have Losamar Damriacha is my question of my insecurity of whether or not I sinned. If Yosef counts me with the brothers and he says I'm a Jew and he owes that in Afnemes, where we have left the status of Noach, so we're full fledged Jews, I haven't sinned. If I haven't sinned, so now I have to save him. So basically, what he has given to us is now an, finally an explanation to the Medrash that he heard that he's counted in the stars means he hears that Yosef considers him a Jew. And Yosef dismisses his sin by saying, No, 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 it's okay. You weren't really sleeping with your father's wife because it wasn't a wife. Therefore, now he knows there's a din of Losamar Demriachal which would apply to save him. Maybe it's not a complete proof. Maybe it's really a suffix. Maybe it's really a suffix. Maybe he only counted me in the dream just because of the doubt, but he didn't really know. So that's what the measure speaks up and says. But wait a second. The whole thing was that and he, basically, he basically said, I thought that maybe I was pushed away. Why does he think he's pushed away? Because he's saying maybe there's at least a suffix that I was pushed away. So he's saying if there was a suffix, if I was pushed away, he wouldn't have counted me in the stars. That's basically the point. Counting me in the stars is a little bit more than being passive. It's, it's like bringing him close. And if it's bringing him close, then he felt Yosef must have considered me, us, all of us to be Jews. If he considered us to be Jews, then there's an Isra of Los Amorites. So now what comes out, and this is very interesting, is that Yosef held that they were Jews, and Yosef was still telling on his brothers. Now, again, put it all together. That's why it was so important, the phase two, which we said. He was telling on his brothers they were eating Abram and Achai. I thought, if you're Jews, you're allowed to eat Abram and Achai. The Territ says, Yosef was stirring the pot. He was saying, according to dad, has a suffix, you shouldn't be doing it. Yosef himself concludes, like the other Shvatim, that they really are Jews. Therefore, there was no sin with Reuven. Therefore, they are allowed fundamentally to eat the Abraham and Achai. And therefore, Reuven has to save Yosef. But Yaakov wasn't sure about that. And if Yaakov wasn't sure about that, so then bottom line is Yosef stirring the pot and he's making it, he's bringing, he's making the machlokas. I just want to be most of one important kinech. I think it's a very cool, like, cherry on the top at the end. Yaakov doesn't know if they're Jews. But all the Shvatim come out that they're Jews. We're trying to figure out, is it a chutzpah, is it not a chutzpah? The vart's like this. What makes us Jewish? What makes Yaakov, the mitaso shlema, what makes it? It's the fact that all of us were tzaddikim. The fact that all of Yaakov didn't have any bad kids. That's what makes us Jewish. All Avram and Yitzchak, they were agreed the reason that at that time the question was greater, maybe they were going, is because there was all some children who weren't doing the right thing. Yaakov's children are what makes us confident that we're Jews. Yaakov has the suffix because in the time of Yaakov, I don't, it's yet to be determined. What determines that we're Taka have the din of Jews is the fact that all of his kids are able to step up and become Sadiqim. So that's how we own it up to determining that we're Jewish, which means that Reuven didn't sin, which means that the Abraham and Achai essentially is mutter after the Shechita, and which means that Reuven is Mechliyev to save Yosef.